The following audio presentation is from Parkwood Baptist Church. The purpose of Parkwood Baptist Church is to glorify God by laboring together for the growth of all believers while going with the gospel to all peoples. More information about Parkwood Baptist Church is available at parkwoodonline.org. That's parkwoodonline.org. Today we come to Psalm 40. This is a very personal psalm to me. I'll share a little bit more about that in a moment, but I invite all of you, if you would, to stand as Joseph reads, reads the word. Psalm 40, to the choir master, a psalm of David. I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. He drew me up from the pit of destruction, out of the miry bog, and set my feet upon a rock making my steps secure. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust, who does not turn to the proud, to those who go astray after a lie. You have multiplied, O Lord my God, your wondrous deeds and your thoughts toward us. None can compare with you. I will proclaim and tell of them, yet they are more than can be told. Father, I am thankful that you are faithful to lift those who cry out to you out of the pit of destruction, that you set our feet upon a secure and firm rock. For all who trust in you, you hear their cry, And so, Lord, may the way that we live our lives, may that be a song that is glorifying to you. We ask these things in your name. Amen. I want to take you back to my 17-year-old self, junior in high school, February 22nd and 23rd. 1984. It started in the afternoon in the library as me, uh, Andy, and Wayne decided to see if we could get Conan, the librarian, to throw us out. Didn't take long to get on their nerves, but we went too far and we hurt the poor lady's feelings in a way that we shouldn't have. She gave us a choice, two of us, made the choice of not getting in any worse trouble. One didn't. We all ended up in the principal's office anyway. He gave us another choice. We followed through. Two of us did. Wayne would not. He was told he would be suspended. He returned the next morning to plead his case. I guess he slept on it on some level. I'm not exactly sure what transpired that morning. But the principal said in-school suspension was necessary. He walked up to us after coming out of the principal's office. And he said something that we never said to each other. A bunch of smart mouth, 17-year-olds. He looked at me and Andy and said, goodbye. I remember thinking that was weird. After first period, I came into class, we had it together, and Andy 
came up to me and said, Wayne's gone, he's left school. The immediate thought in my mind that is that he quit, so after second period was over, I went out to the payphone. Remember those? And I called his house. He picked up the phone. I will not repeat what I said. He never said a word. After a few minutes or seconds, he hung up. I tried calling back multiple times at that moment, then after every class, to no avail. After lunch, I went to the guidance counselor's office. By this time, I had become very concerned. Wayne and, I mean, Andy and another friend, Kelly, had gone to see if they could talk him into coming back. This time, a man answered the phone, which was completely unusual because Wayne did not have a father. I said, can I speak to Wayne? And the man said, hold on a minute. He came back and said, who is this? I said, it's Jeff. He repeated that to, I'm assuming, Wayne's mother. And I heard these words, tell him. He said, Jeff, I am so-and-so. I'm Wayne's pastor, which I didn't know he went to church. And he said, I'm sorry to tell you Wayne's gone. He took his life. The wave of pain, the darkness, the brokenness that still sweeps over me today was unexplainable. I spiraled into a place I've never been, and I hope I never return. The anger was so intense. I, I Sometime around the end of March, I wrote in a journal that I kept. Most of it I couldn't read publicly. I'm not 100% sure why I wrote these words because it's not the place I was at in my life. After this explanation of anger and brokenness, I wrote in capital letters at the bottom of the page, Lord, help me. Time will not allow me to explain the events of the next year to year and a half of my life. But I'm at college and I'm reading the Bible. And I've opened and I read. I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and he heard my cry and he drew me out of the pit of destruction, out of the miry bog, and he set my feet on a rock, making my steps secure. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God, and many will see and fear and trust in the Lord. And out loud I said, that's me. That's me. To every person in this room who has been redeemed by the Lord, your circumstances do not have to be as dire as mine to lead you to that moment. We all have the same testimony. It is God who took us out of the pit, and it is God himself who set us on the rock, and it is the Lord God himself who put a new song in our mouth. This is a psalm of David, but it is a psalm of the redeemed. 
Here's the main idea of this text, that the great God who saves puts a new song in the mouth of the redeemed. Now we want to connect these psalms together for a moment. I want you to go back to Psalm 37, where this theme of waiting gets introduced to us. In verse 7, David says, Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. In verse 34, he says, Wait for the Lord and keep his way. He will exalt you to inherit the land. You will look on when the wicked are cut off. Then we move into Psalms 38 and 39 with this painful application in David's life. And we hear these words again. Verse 15 of chapter 38. But for you, O Lord, do I wait. It is for you, O Lord, who will answer. Chapter 39, verse 7. And now, O Lord, for what do I wait? My hope is in you. Deliver me from all my transgressions. Do not make me the scorn of a fool, of the fools. Now we come to Psalm 40. And what we have before us is the triumphant outcome of David's waiting. Now here's what I want you to see. This is a God-centered psalm. I want you to notice the progression of the thought. It is the Lord who hears. It is the Lord who delivers. It is the Lord who lifts. It is the Lord who sets. It is the Lord who gives. It's not a psalm about David. It's a psalm about God. It's a psalm about the sovereign Lord and what he does. So first, we see this. The Lord hears the cry for deliverance. I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and he heard my cry. Literally in the Hebrew, it's two words. In my waiting, I waited. And I waited. The word wait means to hope. It's not just a passiveness. It's hoping. I I hoped patiently in the Lord. He inclined. It means his... His attention was riveted on me. He leaned in and he heard my cry. See, why was the cry necessary? Why, what is it about David? Well, we know he's in a pit. If you go to verse 12, verses 12 to 17, we get a deeper explanation of this cry, of this prayer. Now, Let me help you in interpreting a psalm here. They're not all like this. But this one's not just good logic laid out. One verse builds on the above verse. So when you get to verse 12, he's going back and explaining verse 1. So it kind of messes with you. It's like, is this something that happened later? It could be applied to something later. It's not that we don't ever find ourselves in a difficult place again in need of God's deliverance. So let's listen to the prayer. For evils have encompassed me beyond number. My iniquities have overtaken me, and I cannot see. They are more than the hairs of my head. My heart fails me. So you hear an acknowledgement and a sorrow over sin. Verse 13. Be pleased, O Lord, to deliver me. O Lord, make haste to help me. 
So he's appealing here to the character of God. He's the covenant-keeping God who has made a promise to his people, and he cries out to him, deliver me, help me. Verse 14. Let those be put to shame and disappointed altogether who seek to snatch away my life. Let those be turned back and brought to dishonor who delight in my hurt. Let those be appalled because of their shame who say to me, aha, aha. What that means is this, that the wicked were looking on David and said, look, God's abandoned him. There is no God. Look, look at David. He's just like us. So David is asking for deliverance from his sin, but he's also asking for deliverance from his enemies. And then he says, verse 16, May all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. May those who love your salvation say continually, Great is the Lord. As for me, I am poor and needy. But the Lord takes thought for me. You are my help and my deliverer. Do not delay, O my God. Now, brothers and sisters, We've got to stop for a moment and make sure that what we're listening to on the radio, on the television, through music and preaching is actually from God and from the Scripture. Because of what a lot of I hear going on is an Americanized version. It's actually very dangerous and much of it false. You're special. You deserve it. You just need to learn how to pray the right prayer. You'll get God to do whatever it is that you desire. Listen to what he says in verse 17. I am poor and needy. This is the king. This is King David. If anybody could have said, hey, I'm special and I deserve it. He said, I am poor and needy, but, but the Lord takes thought for me. That's the good news of Christianity. It's not that you're special and you deserve it. It's that you're poor and needy, but the Lord takes thought of you. That he moves toward you. You are my help and my deliverer. Do not delay, oh my God. It is only God alone who can save us. It is only God alone who can redeem us. So we wait patiently for the Lord. For the covenant-keeping God, the maker of heaven and earth, who bends toward us, who hears our cry, my cry, your cry. He is the one who delivers. It is the Lord who delivers his people. He drew me up from the pit of destruction. Verse 2. What is the pit? The pit of personal sin, possibly. 2 Samuel 11. The pit of adversity. 1 Samuel 18. Emotional distress. 2 Samuel 18. That is depression. Or even a literal pit. Something somebody dug to trap him. Psalm 7. He drew me up from the pit of destruction out of the miry bog and he set my feet upon a rock making my steps secure. A pit is a cistern, something dug out of the ground, a place to hold water. This one has none. It's a miry bog. It's mud at the bottom. Sometimes this refers to a grave. So here, here David is either figuratively or literally saying, I'm, I'm inside a pit and I'm stuck in the mud. Some of you are 
Most of you in here, unless you're brand new, remember Pastor Kim. Pastor Kim and I were fishing down in a farm pond in South Carolina. And me and another guy were in a canoe, and Pastor Kim was in a john boat. If you don't know what a john boat is, it's a flat-bottom boat. They're not real sturdy. And Pastor Kim was in there by himself, and he reached over to get his tackle box, and what he did, his weight shifted, and he shifted the boat, and he overcorrected and put his weight on the other side, and whoop, it rolled right over. You got to know Pastor Kim. So when he first stood up, he was in about this much water, grinning, as only Pastor Kim could grin. And the longer he stood there, the water got deeper. Because he was sinking in mud. When he got out, the mud was about this deep on his legs. We had to help him out. Because not only is David saying, I'm in a hole, I'm in the miry bog. He's sunk up. There's, he cannot release himself. He says, you drew me out. He didn't climb out on his own. You drew me out of the pit of destruction, pit of death, and you set my feet on a rock. God didn't just say, here, let me help you out of here. Now, you see that place up there? That's where you need to go. Now, climb up there. No. God lifted him out and set his feet upon the rock. Now, we know from the rest of Scripture that the rock is God himself. The rock is Christ the Lord. He set his feet on the rock, making my steps secure. So this is not just a moment in time. This is the rest of our life. He has made our steps secure in him. Now the question is, how do you do this? Look in verse six. In sacrifice and offering you have not delighted, but you have given me an open ear, burnt offering and sin offering you have not required. Then I said, behold, I have come. In the scroll of the book, it is written of me. I delight to do your will, O my God. Your law is written. Your law is within my heart. I think most of you in this room probably are asking a legitimate question. I have no idea what that means. Okay, let's go to Hebrews 10 and we're going to answer it. The Bible is going to answer it for you. What is happening here? Hebrews 10, verse 5. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said... Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. So here's what he's saying. This is a direct quotation. Psalm chapter 40, verse 6 to 8. Jesus is saying, let me explain Psalm 46 to 8. It's me. Now what's it saying about him? Verse 8. When he said above, you have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings, these are offered according to the law. Then he added, behold, I have come to do your will. He does away with the first in order to establish the second. And by that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ. And these last three words are crucial. Once, what? For all. That means on the cross, Jesus Christ satisfied the will of God because he kept the law of God perfectly. So we say it this way. He lived the life that none of us could live. He kept it perfectly so that he could die the death that we all deserved. 
that he gave himself as the once and for all sacrifice upon the cross. Ultimately, he's the one spoken of in verses one and two. I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me, he heard my cry. He drew me out of the pit of destruction and set my feet upon a rock. That is, Christ lay dead in the grave and God brought him back from death to life. He is the one who's been lifted from the grave. And because Christ has been lifted from the grave, we too can be lifted from the grave. And, and, his law is written on our hearts. This was the promise of Ezekiel the prophet. I will give them one heart and a new spirit I will put within them. I will remove the heart of stone from their flesh and give them a heart of flesh that they may walk in my statutes and keep my rules and obey them. They shall be my people and I will be their God. That God, when he redeems a people, he does it through the redeeming work of Jesus Christ and the way he keeps his people is through the redeeming work of Jesus Christ. We never stop looking to Christ. Now, none of you in this room are literally doing sacrifices. Like where you go and get an animal and come to a place like this and offer up a sacrifice for your sin. But here's what's happening in a lot of your lives in this room. You, you make sacrifices other ways to where you're trying to get God's attention. Look at what I'm doing. And what Hebrews 10 and what Psalm 40 is telling you is that will never, ever be adequate, ever. The only adequate sacrifice has been made, and that is Jesus Christ on the cross once and for all. Don't try to do what only Christ can do. Now, when you have looked to Christ and trusted and been delivered and lifted out of the pit by the Lord God, the Lord then puts a new song in his people. He put a new song in my mouth, verse 3. The word new means fresh. It means it never gets old. It's in my mouth. It is to be expressed In the 8 o'clock service, Leah stood before us in the waters of baptism and she professed our faith. Most people don't know this. This is one of the distinctions of the Baptist faith. It's not just that we baptize by immersion, but we, but we baptize at confession, personal confession of Christ. That what he has done for us, we give praise to we give testimony to <laughs> and think about it you go under the water and out of the water what is it saying death to life from destruction to life he put a new song in my mouth a song of praise to our God it's not a praise of myself look at what I've done I didn't do anything I cannot save myself I cannot get God's attention Christ has accomplished it and that is the song that I sing. It's a praise to God. And many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. Now look at the expression of this in verses 9 and 10. Psalm 40. I have told the glad news of deliverance in the great congregation. Behold, I have not restrained my lips. As you know, O Lord, I have not hidden your deliverance within my heart. I have spoken of your faithfulness and your salvation. I have not concealed your steadfast love and your faithfulness from the great congregation. Now, I want to ask you, 
You think David's talking about himself here? Let me ask it another way. Could you testify to this? Let's listen to the language very carefully. I have told of the glad news of deliverance. I have not restrained my lips ever. I have not hidden your deliverance ever. I have not concealed your steadfast love. There's only one who can testify to that. That is Jesus Christ the Lord. And because Christ's accomplishment, brothers and sisters, we too now, through faith, share the benefit of what Christ has done. And he changes our lives. And he puts a new song inside of us. A song that's got to well up and come out. Let me illustrate. I was in college and uh, across the road from where Celeste and I were living at the time, out on Highway 10, uh, was a small African-American AME Zion church. And one of my good friends went there and, and Ronnie asked me to come during Holy Week to one of their services. So I'm there and we sing and it was tremendous. I'll never forget the first time I went with him. We sing together. The pastor gets up. He says, I want to welcome Jeff Wong and his friends. And Jeff's preparing to be a pastor. And I was going to preach, but Jeff, you come on up and preach. <laughs> I mean, so we get in a conversation right in front of everybody. No, I'm not prepared for that. So he finally relents. It wasn't immediate. This went on for a while. He relents. He preaches. He finishes. Then he says, Jeff, you must have something prepared now. You want you come up and preach? I'm like, no, no, no. Uh-uh. Service is over. I'm relieved at this point. I'm like, whew. She was probably 90 years old, about four foot 11. She walked up to me. She was very gracious. She said, young man, lean over here. I need to tell you something. You knows him. You can talk about him. Don't you ever do that again. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. Brothers and sisters, if he's brought you out of the pit of destruction, you've got something to say. There, there's a new song in you. There's something that that needs to leap out of you. I have spoken of your faithfulness and your salvation. That appears in the English to be past tense. It's not. It's active perfect in the Hebrew. I'm speaking of your faithfulness and your salvation. I keep on singing. Why? Because the Lord continues. He blesses and provides for his people. The blessings come from him in so many different ways, so many different times. They're endless, they're immeasurable. He says, blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust. Now let's go back to Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord and he delights day and night. So he makes the Lord his trust. He's blessed. He does not turn to the proud to those who go astray after a lie. In other words, he's not, he's not pursuing idols. He's not pursuing something false 
a false God, a false belief that this is going to bring me satisfaction. This is going to deliver me. This is going to save me. And let's just be honest. There, there are many of you in this room that are turning to the proud, and there are many of you that are going astray after a lie. And some of you have ended up in the pit because of it, just like me, a 17-year-old man in a pit. He will hear your cry today. Cry to him. Don't look to the proud. Don't go after a lie. And understand this, verse 5, you have multiplied, O Lord my God, your wondrous deeds and your thoughts toward us. None can compare with you. I will proclaim and tell of them. Yet they are more than can be told. (laughs) There's so many good things that God has done, done and continues to do in his people. We wouldn't have time today to give testimony in this room. We'd be in the next day and beyond before we could finish just testifying to what we could bring to our memories, beyond what we already experienced. Psalm 4011 says this, As for you, O Lord, you will not restrain your mercy from me. Your steadfast love and your faithfulness will ever preserve me. What does that mean? It means this, Jeff Long. It means this, dear brother and sister. It will never be about me. Ever, I'll never be able to say, God, you've got to deliver me because I've done my best. God, you've got to deliver me because you need to see what I've done for you. No, never. Here's what the delivered understand. Your mercy you will not restrain. I am never outside of the need of God's mercy, ever, and neither are you. And it is his his covenant love. That means God has made a covenant, a promise to his people that he will keep it, that his faithfulness will ever preserve me. It will ever preserve you now in this life and forever. So with that in mind, here's my question. Here's my so what. Am I gladly singing the new song of salvation to the Lord? Am I gladly singing the new song of salvation to the Lord? Verse 16. But may all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. May those who love your salvation say continually, great is the Lord. Now I want you to notice first the movement in verse 16. He goes from the individual, which has pretty much been testifying himself. He moves a little bit in the psalm. But here in verse 16, he clearly turns. He's now calling on the community of faith that what has been true of him is true of every believer in Christ that we who love the salvation of the Lord continually say, great is the Lord. So let me give you this thought. Glad rejoicing, continually saying, great is the Lord will only happen when we renounce every vain hope and look for salvation from Christ alone. Whatever it is, whatever else it is you're trusting, until you abandon that and look to Christ alone, you're never really gonna have glad rejoicing. You might be happy occasionally, but the glad rejoicing comes from knowing great is the Lord. So let me illustrate with understanding here. Where's Bob and Cherry at? Hey, guys. So Bob and Cherry back there, they were on that ship last week 
over in Norway. And I guarantee you, they got a story to tell you today. They got a story, and they'll gladly tell you. Jerry wrote an email last night. Here's what it said. Here's what we knew. We were ever, either going to get rescued or go see Jesus. That's two pretty good outcomes, isn't it? You either get rescued or you go see Jesus. Not a third option. Quit looking for a third option. Either God's going to rescue you from whatever situation you're in, or you're going to go see Jesus. That is, that is, if you trust him. Him. Trust in him alone. Not a little bit of you, not a whole lot of you, it's none of you. It's trusting in Christ alone. Would you bow your heads as we pray? As your head's bowed, I just want you to ask yourself the question. Is the glad song of salvation in you? Has he put a new song in you? If not, you need to cry to him from the pit and ask for his deliverance through Christ alone. And if he has delivered you, even, even if life circumstances are difficult, it is the Lord who faithfully, mercifully keeps his people, preserves them forever. Will you praise him today for his mercy? Oh God, I pray now for your people, that your people will give testimony as, as many or most already have in this service. May we May we as your people now give testimony. May the new song spring from us. And for those who have not hope in Christ, may the appeal of this message and the appeal of the song about to be sung cry to those. Look to Christ and believe. Look to Christ and worship him. For he alone can save. Lord, it is by your grace and your grace alone that we are saved. You are the God of our salvation. So we rise now together to say, great is the Lord. And we say it continually to the glory of God. We pray in Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to this audio presentation from Parkwood Baptist Church, located in Gastonia, North Carolina. Please feel free to share this message with others. For more information about Parkwood Baptist Church, visit parkwoodonline.org. That's parkwoodonline.org.